Welcome to Support for Survivors, a podcast for survivors of sexual abuse. Each person's journey is unique. Our goal is to connect survivors to resources along the way on their path to healing. Our host, Shaughnessy Terrell, is a member of Cohen and Malad's sexual abuse litigation team and a former deputy prosecuting attorney who has tried hundreds of cases against sexual predators. We are here to help survivors get access to justice. Join us on this journey. Here is Support for Survivors. Hello, everyone. This is your host, Shaughnessy Terrell. Welcome to Support for Survivors. Today, we are thrilled to welcome Erin Birchwell to our show. Welcome, Erin. We are so happy to have you today. Hi. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, of course. Let's just jump in. You're here today to talk about some abuse that happened and not just the abuse, but really the reaction to the abuse by authorities and other trusted adults within a university setting. So you you actually grew up on the campus of Bob Jones University. Is that right? That's correct. I wasn't, I was one of the few faculty kids that wasn't actually born on the campus at the hospital. My mom had a medical condition, so I was born in Greville Memorial. But yes, I, I grew up from birth all the way till I was 21 years old, leaving in college as a faculty kid on the campus. <laughs> and why don't you tell us what is Bob Jones University? Where is it at? Because a lot of listeners may not know anything about it. So Bob Jones University is a, it's in Greenville, South Carolina. It's moved a couple times. I believe it was in Tennessee, but it, it moved to South Carolina a long time ago. Um, but it's a non-denominational liberal arts Christian university. For many years, it was unaccredited. So yeah, that's a long story. It's non-denominational because a lot of kids from different churches go there, but it's, it's more than just a university. It's really sort of a mothership to hundreds, if not thousands of churches all over the United States and even some abroad. They, they have missionaries abroad. And when I say mothership, I mean, they make the rules that all of these churches kind of follow in suit. So for instance, movie theaters were a big taboo when I was growing up in the 80s and 90s. If you got caught at a movie theater, it was either 100 demerits, which you could only get, I think, 150 before you were kicked out, or it was just straight expulsion. And so sometimes- From the, the, from the church completely? From the university. So okay, like from your degree, yes. But churches could also discipline you for going- this, this is just one example of a rule. So when Bob Jones would change the rule, so in, I don't know, 2000, early 2000s, the rule was changed about movie theaters that you could go to a movie theater if it was 30 miles outside of Greenville. <laughs> I, I, there's, there's some logic behind that, but I won't go into it. So then all of a sudden, all these churches, including mine now after graduation up in Ohio, all these churches follow suit with whatever rule has changed. So suddenly because Bob Jones changes the rule, it's okay to go to movie theaters. When Bob Jones started letting women wear pants, then all of a sudden these churches are like, oh, it's, it's okay to wear pants now. So they when really was that? Are, when, when, I'm sorry, when was that? When were women allowed to start wearing pants? So I graduated in 2001 and women were still not allowed to wear pants. I think it was maybe around I don't, I want to say later than 2010, when it was okay to wear pants to church, you could wear pants to certain functions. Like if you went ice skating, <laughs> but then again, I went to a, a church that was affiliated with Bob Jones, where we, we went whitewater rafting and skirts and nearly drowned. So 
So anyways, they make the rules for a lot of these churches. And then these churches send students and money there in turn to Bob Jones. So it's a lot more than just a university. It's a culture and it's um well it's, it's, it sounds yeah. like a cult. <laughs> and and you know what? I've I've come to terms with that. And I know a lot of people uh shut me down and don't listen to me when I say that, but yeah. it, it well, that really word, does that word carries with it sure a stigma and when people hear that but certainly when you have a you know a, a right. place where kids are born and you're there you know from the time you're born until you're 21 and you have all of these churches all across the country it sure is what it sounds like and especially yeah. when you have these crazy rules um, yes and crazy to me but you know oh they were crazy and you also you lived under a fear because when you worked at bob jones your entire family had to work there so if the husband taught English, the wife had to have some sort of a job. And so they would throw her at the dining common, or it's just the cafeteria on campus, or they'd throw her at the press, but everyone had to work. And your children had to go to Bob Jones nursery through college. And it was funny because when I taught years later at a, what would be considered from Bob Jones, a liberal Christian school, the kids never understood when I said, I didn't have a choice. I had to go there. They're like, what do you mean? You didn't have a choice. Well, you know, in the 80s and 90s, when I was there, if I had looked at another college, my parents could have lost their job of 30 years. They were both professors there. And if I had broken a certain rule, my parents could have lost the job. There was a there's a story back from the 80s, the head of security, something happened where his neighbor on campus, the kids watched some sort of movie. And it wasn't even like it wasn't a bad movie. It was something I think it was rated R, but it was something in like the diehard category or like, I don't know, something silly like that. But because he didn't report that, he had to move off campus like quickly and he lost his job and his, his wife lost her job and the kids, because they made an example of like, if you mess up, it's not just you messing up, getting in trouble, you get your parents in trouble. So there was this really, there's this added pressure of everyone is watching you, everyone tattletales, and you got to look perfect at all times. And no, you can't go anywhere else. And I will say tuition, one of the only perks there was that they paid them nothing. And I mean, my dad was making below 20 grand a year in in the year 2001 with two masters and a doctorate from other schools. So they paid them nothing, but our tuition was free. So it was, you know, we had all our friends that we grew up with and loved. We didn't know anything else. Most people lived on campus, so they literally didn't know anything else. The campus is fully self-sufficient. There's a post office, a dry cleaner. A lot of the faculty live on campus. And so it was follow the rules, let your parents keep their jobs, get a free college education and not, I don't stir the pot, but if you were to leave, you could jeopardize your parents' job or your parents would cut you off or your church would cut you off. So, I mean, we really didn't have a choice and this was before internet and cell phones. I mean, we really didn't have a choice about where we went to school. So these rules and lots of, lots of rules, it sounds like yeah. very, very strict and adhered to, obviously mm-hmm. they're getting kicked out for watching a movie. Are they written or are they unwritten? Everybody just kind of knows, or is there something you have to sign? How does that yes. work? There are, there are written 
written ones, there's, um, there's a detailed handbook. And, and for years, even back in the 90s, somebody was leaking that handbook to, I believe it was David Letterman. It was one of the night, <laughs> late night shows. And they would actually read excerpts because it was hilarious. Like for instance, there was a dating parlor, which was just this large, beautiful room with all these beautiful like love seat couches, but you couldn't be touching, but you could go up there to date and there were monitors that walked around and make sure you were touching. But so there was a rule book, but there are a lot of unspoken rules also that you just knew as a faculty kid. I don't, I didn't have to sign a handbook. I don't believe until high school. And then every year you were supposed to review and see if there were new, new rules. Skirts had to be below the knee. There were just never a tattoo or piercing. I mean, ears were fine. Men couldn't have facial hair for forever. Now they can. We couldn't listen to any kind of music that was secular, like except for Sousa or uh, some, a lot of opera or there were some Broadway shows that were okay, but nothing, no kind of rock like Beatles, no, nothing like that. And that means in your own car alone, you couldn't listen to these type of things. Mm-hmm. So just a lot of strange rules, but you knew what the rules were and you didn't even try to get close to them. Sounds so. like you'd be terrified to, to do that. I yeah. mean, so we, we haven't even started talking about the sexual abuse part yet. And we're already talking about a very serious, very organized culture of fear and control. Yeah. And that's what I, I believe that that's a large part of what shaped the view of myself and my view of women and my view of sure. God, which all led up to the fact that I let somebody abuse me over and over again because of the way I grew up and, and my, my own view of myself and all that. Well, let's talk about that a little bit. Will you share with us a little bit about that trauma that you went through and, you know, like just as little or as much as you want to get into it. So we can talk about the surrounding circumstances and how that affected you in your life. Sure. Okay. I'll try to give you the short of it. Um, cause it spanned over a couple of years to understand fully my parents, my dad uh, had a choir and he, he led a choir of students and per request of Dr. Bob Jones, the third that he was asked. And my mom was asked to take a group, a choir of ki- about 27 college kids across Eastern Europe, starting in 1991 for a humanitarian kind of mission team situation. So from the time I was 11 and my sister was eight, I believe we, you know, tromped across Europe for 10 weeks every summer and had a lot of great experiences. I mean, in 1991, it was still the Soviet Union when we were there and we were passing out Bibles and literature, which was illegal. My dad got detained shortly. Um, It was fun, but from from a very early age, age 11, I was around college kids like nonstop. Mm -hmm. I have to add in the factor of the church that my dad was a music minister of is a church in Greenville also that is closely affiliated with Bob Jones. And however, their rules were even stricter than Bob Jones's rules. So like skirt lengths were longer. A lot of women didn't wear makeup. Most of them did not work. They had a lot of children. Many of them didn't believe in birth control. They remind me very much in appearance of the Duggars, even Mm. the way women speak in that soft voice that's very submissive. (laughs) And that was another added element of stress in my life was because Bob Jones was almost liberal compared to my church. Well, I say all that because my church believed in courtship, again, similar to people like the Duggars. And Mm -hmm. so from when I turned 15, my parents matched me with 
uh, someone called a preacher boy. Those were students who are studying Bible and to become pastors. And there were hierarchies on campus. Obviously, the Jones family was highest and then sure. administrators in this, but preacher boys were definitely in a category. I think maybe the, the best comparison I can draw is maybe like athletes at a, yeah, I was gonna say like at, an athlete at, yeah. at a division yes. one school or something, the exactly. football team or whomever. something okay. like that. They seem like to the get, big men on campus or whatever. For sure. And they seem to get passes where other people did not, especially when it came between what he said and she said. So my parents matched me with a really nice guy, but he was 20 or 21 oh. and I was 15. Real quick. Yes. Your parents matched you. What does that mean? Yes. So in courtship, your parents pick someone that they think is a good fit for you and you start dating with the purpose of marriage, like whenever you're old enough. So you don't really pick, you don't really pick yourself. It's, you know, some are are stricter than others, but my parents decided that this one guy was great and he was a preacher boy or whatever. So from the time I was 15 until 17, 18, I dated him, which means just like, I mean, it really doesn't mean much because <laughs> you could, you aren't allowed to have physical contact or go sure. off campus, et cetera. But I dated him and I realized by 17, 18 that I, I didn't want to date him anymore. And I certainly didn't want to marry him. I was under my parents' authority, which is, you know, heavily taught at my church and Bob Jones, you answer to your parents God uses your parents even when they're wrong. And so you just need to trust God. And so I I was conflicted because I was starting to think on my own and I, Mm -hmm. I knew it wasn't fair to keep dating someone that I was not going to marry. And yet my parents had told me I would be under church discipline if I didn't date him and church discipline, at least for me and a lot of my friends was the ultimate scary thing. If a, a church would decide you were in sin, they would confront you if you didn't bow to them and repent, then they would go before the whole church with you or without you. And they would kick you out and shunning was involved and all kinds of scary things like that. And it was just, it was, it's everyone's biggest fear. And I remember being terrified as a child, watching some missionaries get church disciplined for something. And I, I just remember being terrified. Like that was the, that was the ultimate terrifying. So I met another preacher boy who was a little older on the same mission trip with my parents. And he, now looking back, he was grooming me. He befriended me. You know, there was casual physical contact, like nothing, you know, benign things, but Mm -hmm. it was all looking back. It was all gaining my trust. And he was really a big man on campus. He was a preacher boy. He won the preaching contest and that, yes, that's a thing. They would have a preaching contest every year, which looking back seems so ridiculous, but that was a big thing. And he would win and they would have him in chapel. And he was a big spiritual figure on campus. And so I liked him and we were friends and I talked to him a lot and things came to a head with this courtship situation for me. And so I said to him, I'd like to talk this through with you because I don't want to do this, but yet I'm under my, etc." So I had been many places with him before. So he said, well, let's go, let's go talk. Let's, let's go for a drive and talk. So he put me in his car. I've been in his car many times with him. Mm -hmm. He drove to a park that was kind of secluded and he parked the car. And so I started to um, cry because I was talking about my, you know, 18 year old, I was a freshman in college by this point, my 18 year old world was crumbling and it was a crisis for me. And I was very upset and I started crying and he leaned over 
and he grabbed my chest. He started fondling me. Then he grabbed my chin and made me kiss him. And it all happened so quickly that I let him kiss me. And then I pulled away. And I mean, I was still had still been crying. And I said, take me home. So he, he took me home. And then after that, he wrote an apology note that was just, he was very good with words. He's very mm-hmm. loquacious. He's very persuasive. He seems very sincere when he would apologize. He cried. He apologized for the situation, said it should never have happened and please forgive him. And so that started a cycle for me where I would go back to him and I did like him and he wasn't the person I was courting. And I thought maybe my parents might like him and there were all these other layers of guilt and this and Mm -hmm. that. So it started a situation where this would happen all the time. And it went on and off for about a year and a half. And again, he would apologize and I would go back. And the more it happened, the more indebted I felt to him. I felt like, well, I'm damaged goods now. So no one else is going to date me. And he says he's going to marry me. So I need to stick it out here. So I let him do things. Uh, Occasionally I would say stop, but not all the time, but I did like him also. And so this went on for like I said, a while. And it was broken up some by me traveling and coming back. One day I showed up in the dining common at the university where everyone ate and he was engaged to one of my friends. And this was Mm -hmm. not very long after he had been groping me. And so in that moment, I felt like, I felt like the biggest idiot on the earth. I should have seen that coming. I should have known now, now I'm damaged goods. What's going to happen. I mean, it was, it was really, uh, defining moment for me. And it was upsetting, but, you know, because I had made out with him, that was breaking a big rule. So Mm -hmm. I didn't feel like I could tell anyone because I might get in trouble for that alone or for being off campus alone, et cetera. So I didn't say anything for a while. I was just very angry and upset. And eventually the school found out, but because he was a dorm counselor, which is another hierarchy type situation where he, you know, he was also a preacher boy and he was a dorm counselor. They called him in first to talk to him and get his version of the story. And so he gave his version. And by the time I was called up to the Dean of Men, Women, Dean of Students, I didn't have a chance. I didn't have a snowball chance in hell because they had already made up their minds. And so they made me write out what happened from my situation. I was 19 or 20 by this point, I was 20 years old by this point, they made my parents come in the room and sit there and listen to me read this thing about what happened. And the very very first thing they told me after I finished reading this thing that, which was very emotional for me and how it started and what happened. And the very first thing uh, they said was the Dean of men at the time said to me, you have excellent grammar. (laughs) And then the dean of students, who was the big wig on campus, and he's still there, he said to me, now, Aaron, what were you wearing when these episodes would occur? (laughs) And I mean, I was so naive at the time that it didn't even occur to me what was happening. Like it was, I was like racking my brain. And I said, well, I mean, once I was wearing an artist series dress, but it, but it checked, which means it had sleeves. It was long. It, it didn't show cleavage. It, you know, it only came two finger widths below the collarbone, which was the rule at the time. I mean, I said, well, I wasn't ever. And he said, do you understand how guys' minds work? And 
And then that's where that went from there. And that was the whole point of that. And later, pretty much they all you need to know, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. And I, I mean, I could just sense that this was going nowhere for me. And so after that meeting, a letter was written to my parents that I still have saying that, you know, the truth may never come out, but your daughter may not be telling the truth, but because he's not quote above reproach, we're going to move him from his dorm counselor position to put him as a GA in the library. So he didn't lose his scholarship or anything, but they moved him to a different spot, but they told his dorm that he was moving because he was engaged and he had a wedding to plan. So they still lied about the whole thing it's, to make him, you know, to save face for him. Sure. It's not unlike what we see a lot of times in like even high schools where teachers are allowed to resign and move on to the next post and no one is told what happened or why. And they're certainly not fired. Exactly. Um, how, yeah. So how did they find out originally? How did they, cause you didn't go to them. Right. So how did they find out that this had happened? So my mom, at some point I was depressed. I was ill. I had been losing weight which was not like me. And my parents finally nailed me down and said, what, what happened with him? Because he had come to them out of guilt Mm -hmm. more than once and written letters and apologized to them. And so they knew something had happened. And so my mom had me start some loose counseling with Beneth Jones, who she has since passed. She was married to Dr. Bubba third and she had had some sort of abuse in her background. So I had a couple sessions with her where I talked to her and she said, you know, she was very kind to me, but she said, you know, I think this guy should maybe not be a dorm counselor. I said, yes, but if I say something, then I'm going to get dragged. I mean, I knew what would happen. And so I didn't say anything, but she told me when you're ready, just tell me. And she said, I'll talk to my husband. He shouldn't be a dorm counselor. So I sat on that for a while and then stuff started leaking out rumors around campus. And I don't know how they got started. So I went were, back and I let her in. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Oh, you're okay. Were, yeah. were there any other allegations from any other women that he had done similar things to them? There were no there were rumors and there are people that still today won't say anything, but when he was doing this with me, he was also trying to date about at least two other women at the time. And one of them had traveled on a team with him and he convinced her to break up with her fiance. And then he never spoke to her after they got back to campus. She wound up getting back with that fiance and staying in the Bob Jones type churches later in life. And so mm-hmm. I don't think she won't talk because, you know, it's a touchy subject because that's her husband. Now I had another friend that he was pursuing and doing similar things to, but again, I'm the only one that's talked. So I can't say definitively that he did something to someone else, but the rumors about me being gotcha. a, a slut and all this stuff, the Scarlet sure, letter was course. already put on. So I kind of got fed up with it. I don't even remember quite the inciting moment right now, but I left a note at the information desk for Bennis Jones. And I said, you know what? I think I'm ready for somebody to do something because I'm tired of the rumors, et cetera. Mm-hmm. Support for survivors is sponsored by the law firm Cohen and Malad. Cohen and Malad attorneys have over two decades of experience helping sexual abuse survivors. We work through the civil court process to get justice and compensation that can help pay for resources needed to heal from your trauma and move forward. We are proud of the work we do in giving power to your voice. And now back to our show. So 
Dr. Bob III actually called my parents in for a meeting and said, what do you want me to do with this guy? Like, do you want me to ship him to Siberia? I mean, he was, that was facetious, but my parents, you know, they kowtowed to him. He was their boss. He was their everything. They said, well, we're not going to tell you what to do. So he turned the whole thing over to the Dean of Students. That is the man who said to me, well, what were you wearing? And so that's how it kind of got farmed out. It's, it's confusing. It's long story, but um, that's, that's it in a nutshell. So the university, they kind of removed him, shifted him to the library, but never told anybody. After that, I did feel like I had a scarlet letter A. There are a lot of rumors that went around. My last two years of college, I was a theater major. I wasn't getting approved for roles and plays anymore. I couldn't run for my society office. I didn't get who's who, which was a really funny joke because in the back of the yearbook, my senior year, my paragraph was longer than like anybody else's, but I didn't get approved for who's who. And they keep files on you there. Uh They have a huge file room and anything that happens, they keep a file on you. And so I was marked as a Hester Prynne. And I took the first job that was out of state that it was offered after that. But where it gets really interesting is my church got involved after they found out what happened at school. Mm -hmm. So then I had to deal with the wrath of my church. So and this is so complicated too. The guy who did all this to me, his dad was a preacher. Also, he was actually a chaplain in the army, but he was well-connected at Bob Jones and had been a chapel speaker many times and knew, knew the Joneses. And he was a real feisty bulldog and he loved to sue and make people's life difficult basically. So when he found out what happened in the very beginning, he marched his son over to my parents and made him apologize and said, we're putting this behind us. But things continued after that apology with his son. And so the apology was, was kind of negated after that because, you know, the behavior continued when the school found out. And then the church found out his dad like hit the roof. I mean, he was so angry. He would call my parents screaming at them on the phone, threatening them. He threatened to sue us for slander. If I told anyone, we got threatening notes in the mail. One of them had a, a photo of my face. And then it was, there were gallows drawn with, oh my with me hanging and it had, you know, verses about oh Haman made his own. Yeah. And, and all this, you know, was through mail. And of course it got thrown away because somebody at the university threw it away. The letters, the only letters we had. Anyway, and they were also, he, he actually, at one point, my, by my senior year of high school, he kept trying to get me kicked out of Bob Jones. His dad hired a private investigator to follow me around (laughs) to catch me like going to a movie or breaking a rule. Oh my goodness. So he supposedly compiled all this dirt on me that would get me kicked out. He even made anonymous phone calls to the head of the school of fine arts, which was my department reporting things like. Aaron McCauley was seen this weekend making out with a guy in a, in a oh car. And it goodness. was just, it, it was just false, but it was all just trying to make my life miserable, trying to scare. I'm sure us. it did. I can't imagine it what it was like to go through that. It is. I mean, for a long time when we were married, I thought it was normal to have anxiety to check your mailbox. Like I just always had anxiety for many years checking my mailbox. And even when we would go to, as a married couple outside of college with living our own lives, I would always look over my shoulder for years at movie theaters thinking, oh, is somebody going to see me? So no, it was no way to live. It was not fun. Um, that type of indoctrination isn't going to just go away. I imagine it takes many, many years, many years of therapy. I'm still in. So my church got involved 
trying to help, and I say that in air quotes, they wanted to kind of shut down this guy because he was also now threatening to sue the church if they said something. He was threatening to go before my church, like on a Wednesday night and and tell all this dirt on me and whatever. So we had a meeting at the church and I still have this document and I've posted it before online. It's, it's out there somewhere too, but I can send you a copy. My church set up a meeting at midnight on February. On, yeah, it was at midnight at the church and I have it. It says actually the document reads on February 14-15, the year 2000, because it, it started at midnight on the 14th and went into the 15th. And the reason they had it at midnight was because this guy's dad, he always wanted his son to be a big popular preacher in town. And he didn't want any kind of dirt on him that would prevent him from this at any cost. So he didn't want people seeing that we were having a meeting. So he demanded that it be, you know, in the dead of night. So we all went, what my parents, world? his parents, me, they set it up sort of a courtroom. There was, there was a table up front that had the pastor in the middle and had two elders on either side of him. And then there was just like a courtroom. There was the guy and his parents and then me and my parents on the other side of the table. And then his fiance and her parents were there. My because goodness. Her, yeah. And so it was kind of like a courtroom thing. And then they separated us into rooms. I mean, it went on for hours and asked us to write down what happened. And then the pastor would go between both rooms and say, well, he says this didn't happen. Nothing happened underneath the clothes. She says it did. He says it. So in the end, we made this document that read, we are agreeing to disagree and neither, uh -huh. neither party will ever talk about it again under like church discipline. And so the document, they made us all sign it. It's got all of our signatures, everyone who was there, his signature, his parents' signature. My, I mean, it's a document that would be kind of hard to forge. Yeah. But, I, I, yeah. I saw it and it looks like a very say, homemade, yeah. a very homemade non-disclosure <laughs> agreement. Very, very is. basic yes. NDA is. is what it looks like. It is. But growing up at Bob Jones, we didn't, even my parents, we didn't know if they had more money than we did, and we didn't know that slander was the hardest thing to take to court. I mean, we didn't know it. We were, I was terrified. So we signed this thing and agreed not to talk about it. So that's what I did. I didn't talk about it for a long time under fear of, of course not, whatever. Yeah. And so from then on, I just kept it inside and tried to put my head down and graduate and then get out of Dodge. <laughs> Of course. It, so what happened to him? Did he go on to become that pastor that his dad was hoping he would be? And is he yes. still a, a valued member of the Bob Jones community? He is. He's loosely connected with the university now, not as much as he was. He went for years to try to get a degree, possibly an MDiv and never finished. But he is in the Greenville area and he is a pastor associated one, with one of the biggest Bob Jones churches in the area. Oh. So yes, he is still a pastor. Yep. So basically <laughs> this didn't do anything to his life or his trajectory or what he hoped to become. It no, sounds like it did nope. nothing. Not at all. And nope. as for you, you're, you know, we're here many years later and you're still dealing with it. You're still having to do, cause you know, I think that's one thing that people don't understand, especially on a basis like this in a, a community like that, where it's very clearly judgmental. And so mm -hmm. even if you're doing something that is really a normal thing, you can get judged for it. Then you've got something here. And this is 
amongst many communities, I see this all the time where you have like a high school girl, if an older man um, abuses her and they call her a slut and a whore and a whatever, and you're like, she's 15 years old. Like, that's not how mm. this works. And so you've got a community here that is so judgmental and is ruled by fear and control. And so I can't even imagine what your life was like having to deal with that. And it's in public for all to see. Everyone's talking about you walking down the hall, walking down the street for that matter in that community and having to deal with it. I can't imagine how hard that was. Yeah, it was difficult. And even with people in my church trying to be nice to me, and I don't know what their motives were. The pastor said he was trying to get that, that father out of our lives with the lawsuits and stuff. And he was trying to take the brunt of that. And I, who knows, possibly he was trying, it was clearly botched and somebody should have told us, take that letter to the police station, you know, Mm -hmm. don't take this. I even had a letter. I still have it that Benneth Jones wrote to my mom that said, essentially, you know, I'm really sorry what happened to Aaron. It was wrong. However, in these type of situations, it's best for a girl so that she's not dragged through the mud to just kind of sweep things under the rug, essentially. And so that's what my parents did. I mean, that was their livelihood. That was their job. They'd worked there almost four decades by that point, and and they're not going to jeopardize over something. So, yeah, I think that's also a normal reaction for a victim of sexual abuse because you do feel so much shame and you want to go away. You already feel badly about it, even though it's not your freaking fault. And so then when you have all of those outside pressures as well, and so it doesn't surprise me that that came from somebody within that community who had been victimized, because the thing is this, yeah, that may be easier at the moment for a person who's going through it, but no, that's not what we should do. What we should do is educate our community and our society to understand this isn't your fault. And if we can, if the rest of us can learn that and understand whose fault it really is and educate those boys as they come up, instead of Mm -hmm. educating our girls to be more careful and quote, less slutty or whatever it is, Mm -hmm. perhaps we wouldn't have these problems anymore, but that's not what we do. And certainly not what the Bob Jones community does, because this, this isn't like this would happen in a nutshell. This is a very, or in a vacuum rather, this is ongoing. In fact, in 2011, they had to have a, was it called the grace report? Yeah. Yes. Can you tell us about that? What, why yes. that was initiated and what they did? Yes. So in, I think, yeah, 2011, 12, but maybe, maybe 13, somewhere around there. This is when Stephen Jones was president after his father, Dr. Bubba the third. And I will, I will say that we are, we were good friends with Stephen Jones. He loves my husband you know, I grew up, he was on my parents' mission trip. I, we like Stephen. And I do believe that Stephen started off with the university and he wanted to change the directions of things. Mm-hmm. And Stephen is the one that hired this organization called Grace. And the Grace Report goes in to churches, uh, mission boards, Christian organizations, and helps break down what abuse has occurred, what they did with the abuse, what they've done to fix things. And they talk to victims and they're made up of lawyers and pastors mm-hmm. and former abuse survivors. So in my case, so Stephen Jones hired them, which and it was a lot of money, but he hired them. And Bob Jones was supposed to send letters to all the graduates. And that's the highly controversial topic because many of my friends never, never knew that the grace report was happening. So they really didn't send it out to 
everybody. So this grace report comes and you're supposed to go tell them about your situation. And, you know, for years, I had not spoken about this. In fact, when I dated my husband, who was this great upstanding Bob Jones citizen, I broke down and cried to him when we were dating because I thought he wouldn't marry me, you know, because of what had happened to me, which he was said, well, that's, that's ridiculous. That's bullshit. Of course I'll marry you. But you know, I didn't think he would because I, you know, I thought I was a bad person. Well, it's everything that you had been taught, right? That's right. Yeah. That's right. And I, I didn't know if he had those views or not. Uh, so it's like, don't talk, don't talk, don't talk. Oh, come to us and talk. So, you know, then I found myself in a position trying to dig up something from years ago, almost 10 years, maybe previously. I don't know if I'm doing the math correctly, but from many years ago, and that was very traumatic trying to, you know, spit it out for the first time in front of, I was sitting in front of a pastor, a lay person, a lawyer, and they were sitting there looking at me in this hotel room saying, tell us your story. We believe you. And it was like, it was cathartic, but it was extremely painful that first time Mm -hmm. because it was terrifying. Like, and because Bob Jones had hired them, I had many friends. One of them was raped on campus. And because she was dating a preacher boy, he got spiritual probation, which means nothing. And she got kicked out and someone saw the rape in progress what? and just went and turned them in, didn't stop it. But yeah. And so she's an instance that she saw that Bob Jones hired Grace and she said, I, I don't trust them. Mm-hmm. Anyone working with the school. So this Grace report is a tiny snippet of what's happened over the years, because the most horrific stories I know, those people were like, well, I'm not going anywhere near Grace. Mm-hmm. So, but a lot of people did. So I told my story and I got it out and Grace came up with this report. And then more and more people started coming out of the woodwork and telling a lot of the same stories, many much worse than mine. So in, I don't remember what year it was in the 2013 or something, they said the report was finalized and that Bob Jones got the first copy and they still had the right because they were Mm -hmm. the, you know, client, they still had the right to say, don't publish it by this point. Stephen Jones had to step down for health reasons and someone named Steve Pettit, who's still the president took over. And I think I'm getting this time, right? I don't have it in front of me, but Bob Jones said, they looked at the report for whatever reason said, we're not publishing it. (laughs) So all of us who had like gone through all this drama, drudged up all this stuff, were like, what? And so somebody went to the news and um, I made a conscious decision to go to the news. And I remember at the time, my parents were still teaching there and my mom was terrified. She wanted me to blur my face and change my voice. And I, I said to her, you know, mom, I am a faculty kid. I'm someone that pretty much all the, I mean, everyone that's still teaching there knew me. They knew I grew up there. I said, mom, I think they need to see me because what's going on on the internet right now is that it's just a few disgruntled grads. You know, they have a bone sure. to pick with the university. They're just making stuff up. I said, I think it's important for people to see that I'm a faculty kid. I don't have anything to gain by this. I have everything to lose by talking about this again, all these years later. So I talked to the news and, and then other news networks picked it up. And they, eventually there was an article with the New York times. So after that pressure was put on, Magically, the university published the report. However, 
there were all kinds of recommendations, like an apology, many, many uh, recommendations, many, many, <laughs> I, like, I even like a, yeah, even like a, a, some sort of a statue or something as a sorry to the victims or, you know, and that's, that might be kind of cheesy, but they literally did virtually nothing from that report. And that's why it's so important when people ask, when people say to me, Aaron, that was 23 years ago, just get over it. You know, the problem is, as late as October of 2019, and that's not that far ago when you consider all the shutdowns with COVID and everything. I mean, that's recent history. A girl, a Bob Jones student was raped on Furman campus down the road. Which is, are they affiliated at all with Bob Jones Furman? Not at all. Not at all. Okay. Are they a religious institution or? They were founded that way, but they're, I wouldn't say that at all now. Okay. But they're right down the road and we sometimes play soccer against them. Or I say we, like I'm still there. (laughs) I I revert back. They (laughs) play soccer with, but a girl was raped. She was drugged and then raped. And the security guard there, and this is just what from the the news articles, there's an actual lawsuit going on. So there's not a lot of information yet because it's an ongoing investigation. But the security guard on Furman campus happened to be a very loyal Bob Jones grad. And that's what you'll find all over Greenville. All the pastors of this city council members are Bob Jones. It's They've infiltrated everywhere in that town. And so the security guard, Bob Jones grad, he told this girl, he's like, you were drinking alcohol and I'm going to turn you in. And so the story goes that she was in the ambulance to go get checked for this rape. And she was ripping IVs out and trying to jump out of the ambulance saying, I'm going to get kicked out. I can't get kicked out. I cannot get kicked out. That was her terror. She was terrified. So she eventually did go to get the rape um, examination at the hospital or whatever a day later. But right after that, she was called in and she was expelled for Mm -hmm. drinking. And it just looks, the point of all that is, and the point of why I'm still talking about something from 20 years ago, it has nothing to do with bitterness. I have a life. I have a great life, but it is the culture of fear for victims and especially women from my point of view for women has not changed. If a girl is too afraid in the year 2019, years after the grace report and all the recommendations, if she's too afraid to go get a rape exam at a hospital, you've got a problem culturally still, and you're not addressing it. Well, and she was right. Cause she did get kicked out. She was right. She did. It did That's happen. right. And they love to play semantics with the news and say, well, she wasn't kicked out for being raped. She was kicked out for drinking alcohol, which so. makes me <laughs> angry even to hear. It's just so. Yeah. And see, they've, they've changed, they've changed a lot of their like They've loosened up on their dress standards and their music standards. And so people love to say, well, it's not the same school. But the problem is it's still the same cult where this person makes the decisions up top. Everybody Mm -hmm. files down and you don't question. And there's still this fear of going against them or making them look bad. A lot of it is about appearance and not making them look bad. And, And this girl we're really proud of her. Mm-hmm. She's a Jane Doe, but she's filed a lawsuit against Furman and university mm-hmm. and the security guard who did. That. And that's, that's all ongoing now, right? It is ongoing still. Correct. So, I mean, that, there's clearly still a problem. I don't care that the girls can wear pants. That means nothing to me right now right. about it. I believe that, you know, more pressure from the news is, I don't know, it's the only way to go. And I will say that there was an apology in the beginning before the grace report came out. And it was something along the lines, like 
if we underserved you, then we're sorry, you know, blah, blah, blah. But it was retracted after the grace report came out because they had their own independent lawyer look mm-hmm. at it and say it was false. So you can say you apologize, but when you come out later and say that everyone in the report is lying, you've got a problem. And I, I will add that at least two people who were mentioned in different stories in that report have since gone on to rape multiple people and are now in prison. So oh not all of the, not everything in the report is a lie. I mean, clearly there, I actually, I believe maybe three people have been arrested now too, but it, that's just the tip of the iceberg with what's gone on there over the years. I can only imagine. And it's still going on. Yeah. And unfortunately, I think that this is not unique to Bob Jones. I think that in many larger religious organizations all across the country, similar things are going on. Are you yes. or your family still affiliated with Bob Jones in any way? No. No. And in fact, my dad had taught there 42 years. He needed oh three more years for his social security to up, you know, that I don't understand the whole thing, right. but they, they fired him without cause the year that I, that the grace report came out and I spoke, it was they supposed to be anonymous. Him. Yeah. They, they fired knew. him without cause. Yeah. And, and in South Carolina, I mean, I believe that's why they moved there is because the labor laws are so lax. I think they read something like an employer can fire anyone with cause or without cause, you don't even have to give a reason to fire someone in South Carolina. So, I mean, we did look at the time into lawyers, but nope, not in South Carolina. (laughs) So that was all, you know, everything you said is just, it's mind boggling and definitely good information to have and things for people to look out for, um, you know, within their own organizations. We got to wrap it up here. So uh, we always end the show with the same three questions. So I'm going to go ahead and ask this to you now. Question one is, what does courage mean to you? So that's an interesting one for me. My definition of courage has changed over the years. When we were young and we thought about courage and we're taught from the Bible, I, I always thought about Daniel in the lion's den. And that was always terrifying because you think as a child, you don't like pain and how could you survive that? And that's your idea of courage is some sort of like event where there's pain involved and you're standing up to obviously evil people and you're the good one doing right. And I found the older I get that courage, I think a lot of times is standing up against people that are perceived as correct or right. It could be standing up against a church. It could be standing up against a group of church leaders. And it, you look as though you're the bad guy in that situation, but actually you're the one with the courage because you're the one standing up and saying what's true. And so I've, I've done a 180 on what I believe courage is because as a child, you think it's going to be so clear what's evil and what's good. And it, it's so gray. It's so difficult in life. It's, it's just not black and white. Like we were taught. That's for sure. What do they say? The monsters aren't really the ones under the bed. That's right. That's right. (laughs) Um, Number two, what is the Mm -hmm. best piece of advice you have ever received? One of the pastors who actually stuck up for me through this whole thing, he was the only person connected with Bob Jones who believed me and who stuck up for me. He told me, and I don't agree with his stance on a lot of things, especially now, but he told me in a little counseling session after that midnight situation, he said, Aaron, This guy, he will mess up eventually in his life. The kinds of things he's doing to people and to women, that doesn't go away. And you 
stay in your lane and you do what's right and you don't worry about him. You speak the truth, but eventually the Bible says vengeance is mine and the truth will come out. He said it may not come out in your lifetime, but the truth will come out. So do what's right and just stay in your lane. And, and the older I get, I mean, I've already seen start to happen where truth comes out and I haven't had to do anything. Mm-hmm. Well, I think that's great advice. And I can't imagine how much it meant to you to have that coming from someone who was a part of that world, that community as well, and feeling that support, especially in light of how you were treated by everyone else. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Last question. What is one question that you wish more people would ask you? I would say that I'm going to direct this questions towards Bob Jones people, <laughs> people that, cause I still know a lot of Bob Jones grads. A lot of them have, have taken a much different approach to life, a much healthier approach to life and religion. Now, a lot of them, a lot of my friends have, but I still have friends that I grew up with or are loosely connected with the university still. And I wish that those people would call me up or email me or send me a social media message. And they would say, Aaron, what happened to you? Because my experience is valid, and so are a lot of others. But for some reason, even when I was on the news during the whole Grace Report thing, and both my parents were on faculty, not one faculty member or staff member from hundreds of them, not one of them said to my parents, hey, I saw Aaron on the news. I'm sorry, what happened? Nobody at my dad's church, over several thousand people, nobody asked me or my parents what really happened. And I wish that more of those people would ask because now I'm at an age where they're sending their kids down there and they, they need to know the truth because like we talked about earlier, there's still an ongoing investigation. The culture there has not changed. Wow. That's, that's even a brave thing of you too, is to talk about the fact that, you know, the people are still part of that community and you speaking up and out. And thank you so much for coming on today speaking out in the way that you have and the way that other brave survivors have done is the only way to combat the culture of silence and to actually make change on a, yes. on a broad scale and, and on an everyday scale too. So thank you for coming on today. We very much appreciate having you. Thank you. And I agree wholeheartedly that when I saw other people first speaking out against the university and I saw what happened to them and I saw how they were blacklisted and all that, it, it gave me the courage to finally say, okay, I'm going to be next and I'm going to speak up. And I have, I've had a, many, many emails from people over the years from different podcasts and news and, and 99% of them have all been positive. And, and you're right. Breaking the silence is, is key in these situations, especially with these churches who just want to save face at the end of the day and not, and not change and not, and not address what's happening and, they don't want to fix anything. So thank you for having me. I really appreciate the opportunity. Of course. And I think that's a great note to end on. I can't tell you how many people that I've talked to who something has happened. And once somebody else said something, it helped push them that direction and help them muster the courage to come forward. And unfortunately you're right about a lot of those organizations. They think that they are protecting the integrity of the organization and they're not they're protecting the perpetrator, perpetrators. And we're not going to stand for it anymore. So thank you so very yeah. much for coming on. And as always, thank you to our listeners. Please submit any questions or requests for guests at supportforsurvivors.com. Thank you so much, and we will see you next time.